It's good to see you this morning. My name is Caleb. If, uh, if we have not met before, I'm the pastor here. Uh, before we jump into the sermon in the month of December, we are talking about uh, what does it mean to take the words of Jesus seriously, to use our lives to live to give. Jesus says that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And what would it look like if we really took that seriously? What would it look like in our life if we said, we want that to become core in our life? We want that to become the center of our life, and we believe and trust that he says it is more blessed to give than to receive, and we want to be a part of that. So every week, we're kind of highlighting different aspects of that. Uh, what I want to tell you about uh, this this week, before we jump into the sermon, is Adam mentioned this during the announcements, but uh, we are coming up on our official five-year anniversary as a church. We'll be celebrating that on January 6th. We'll have a big birthday party here and celebrate what God has done in the last five years as as a church, and uh, many of you have not been around that entire time. Obviously, uh, we always uh, want to be a church that's for new people, and we have many, many people that are new from Denver or new to Denver, rather, and are um, coming and checking things out. And, and that's the kind of church that we always, always want to be. But we have seen God do some amazing things in the last five years, and we've seen people get baptized, and we've seen uh, people's marriages that have been healed. We've seen people that have become Christians. We've seen people that have gotten met here and gotten married. We've seen a lot, a lot of babies, probably about. 30 every day uh, in the last couple months. Yes, <laughs> uh, we've seen a lot of babies. We've seen a lot of cool stuff that God has done in the last five years, and we we are looking forward to what God will do in the next five years as a church. Really, the first five years as a church is just kind of uh, surviving and kind of putting the pieces together as you start something new. Uh, and then the next five years, we're really looking forward to what does it mean to mature as a church? What does it look like for us to kind of grow into the church that God has called us to be? And so Adam said this uh, during the announcements, and some of you uh, saw this if you're in our private uh, Facebook group or a member here at the church. But one of the things that we look to in the next five years that we really uh, want to see happen and want to see. God do is to be able to touch more and more lives, and part of that is bringing on Adam uh, on staff as our operations director starting in January. So you can give him a round of applause for that. Adam and his wife Joni have been a part of the church for uh, almost the entire time, about four and a half years, and have been uh, faithful leaders here, leading community groups and leading in other areas of ministries here, and have served very, very well. I know many of your lives, for those of you that know them, have been impacted and touched by them, and uh, and uh, we look forward to actually having, I look forward very much so, to having another full-time person on staff, our very first uh, full-time uh, employee to be able to really, you know, in a church, it's not just say we have a new employee, it's really Man, we're able to impact more lives. We're able to help more people. We're able to love and serve more people. And so uh, look forward to having him join us as a part of what is God going to do in the next five years uh, in our church. And I actually wanted him to come up and share. I mean, kind of come up because his life is a, is a testimony of what does it mean to live to give? What does it look like in somebody's life to live to give? And him really coming on here at True Life is even, that decision is even a part of that. So I just wanted him to share a little bit um, of, of really kind of how his life connects to even what we're focusing on this month. So go for it, man. Is this kind of like a give the top five reasons why I'm so humble kind of situation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Tell us why you are more blessed giving than receiving. We would like to know. Yeah, I was actually reading through that passage yesterday morning as I was thinking through what I was going to say here. It's more blessed to give than to receive, and Jesus said that. And I think part of this transition for me is, was just kind of a realization in finding that to be true. You know, had you asked me in college, 
you know, or said to me, hey, Adam, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I would have been like, okay, what, what would I be receiving, though? Just tell me, you know, what that would have been. <laughs> so I would have just, I was questioning it. You know, I didn't, I wanted to test that, test those waters, you know. Um, had you asked me, well, what do you think about maybe eventually working in a church? What do you think about working towards pastoral work? I probably would have laughed at you and said, what do I have to do to sit down and talk to people and not make a ton of money? Like, what's going on with that? And so I, you know, that's what I would have said. But then as the years went by, the Spirit of God came alongside me and just walked with me and kind of began to change my heart. One of the first things that he did early on for me was he began to show me that some of the things that had been going well for me, whether that was stuff at work or stuff at school or just anything, really, he, he began to show me that that was because of him and not because of me. Um, you know, I think a tendency, perhaps for a lot of us, is when things go right with us, we, we like to take credit for it. We like to say, yeah, I worked my butt off, and here I am. And like many of us, that was me. And, but as the years went by, God came alongside me and began to whisper to me and show me that he had actually given me most of those things. Sure, my decision-making and work ethic was involved, but mostly it was him. And when that happens, it's hard, it becomes hard to take credit for things. It becomes hard to take credit for things, and you're kinda, your death grip on the stuff that's yours begins to loosen. And um, the Lord did that, did that to my heart. I mean, it's like, this is going to be a weird illustration, but it's like you're, you, you're, you're, you're at the mall or something, and you, you're standing there, and some guy walks up to you and gives you like a big box of donuts. And he says, hey, I love you. I want you to share these donuts and, and bless people with them. And then you're like, oh, sweet, and it's a big box of dozen donuts or a baker's dozen, whatever they give you in donuts these days. And you got the box, and like five minutes later, you forget that the box was given to you, but, and so you start saying, these are my donuts. I'm going to crush them all myself. But then people start coming up to you and saying, hey, can I have one of those donuts? And then you, maybe at first you're hesitant, but then you start giving them away. And you know, the box isn't even designed for you to eat them all. It's like, it's like not even, you don't feel good if you eat them all, right? It's designed for you to kind of share them. Sorry, this metaphor is getting weirder by the minute. Um, and like, I, I felt that. I felt as time went on, the Lord leading me to share and give my time, my treasure, my talent, to use three Ts. Now that I'm in churches, I have to use alliteration. You have to alliterate. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I, I felt that, like, in a really real way. And so, you know, ha, like, with this job, have I given up some worldly things? Sure, you know. Can I get guac in my Chipotle every time? No. You know? <laughs> um, some things going to change with the budget? Yeah. But, like, let's be clear. Like, I am gaining, from my perspective and Joni's perspective, we're gaining so much more. I mean, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We're gaining things, and we've already felt that. I mean, seeing lives changed, getting to be in circumstances where the power of God is getting poured out on people, and their decisions are changing. They're turning from sin. Marriages are getting healed, like you said. Um, fear is being just departed from. Trust in God is growing. I mean, that, that's like the most exciting thing. Like, what is more exciting than that? Like, I, some things have, Joni and I are giving up some things, but that's not, that's not how we feel about it. Like, we're gaining so much more by doing this specific thing that we feel God has called us to do. So, um, yeah, does that answer your question? That answers <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Adam.
Adam will start uh, January, uh, well, first, I think it was New Year's Day, so January 2nd, uh, he, will, he will begin, and, um, and we look forward to having him uh, join. As I said, he will be uh, directing, he'll be the operations director here, so in charge of a lot of the kind of logistics and things that kind of happen on the ground and continuing to, to help preach and do other things. Um, so we are excited uh, to have him as a part of our church as we look to what the next five years for us as a church looks like. And with that, with bringing him on, with bringing on another full-time person. I just want to ask us as a church to, to kind of grow into that together, to step up in that and say, man, if we're, if we're bringing on another person, let's together give towards that end. Let's give. Let's not just have Adam's life be one that is living to give, but let's all together give. Let's all together give in such a way where we're able to, as a church, mature over the next five years. And so uh, if, you, if you're not currently giving or you don't know how to give, you can go on our website, truelifedenver.com. There's a little give thing here at the bottom. You can click that and uh, uh, that, that allows you to sign up recurring giving or mail check or however it is that you uh, desire to give. And along with that, I want to tell you one other thing. Uh, we have a generous donor that offered uh, in the next, uh, if you, you saw me put this on Facebook if you're in the group, but really in the next week, so this week up till Friday, uh, we have a donor that has offered to give a matching gift of $20,000. And so, um, and that's really to help us in the next season as a church to be able to mature, to do the things, to be able to bring on somebody full time, to be able to see what, what God wants to do in and through us as a church happen in this city, to see more and more lives affected by the gospel. So if, uh, if you want to be able to even double your impact, double your generosity, I would encourage you in the next five days to be able to give uh, something to contribute towards that end. And last thing I want to say is uh, kind of around this end is we, we talked about serving a couple weeks ago and how that's a part of our lives to give. But, but I do want to just say something about this is, you know, bringing on Adam uh, as a full-time employee here and, and the, all the different things we do, whether that's the coffee that we drink or, or the TV that's here on the stage, all of that takes actual dollars, right? It all takes actual money. Everything we do as a church to contribute to the vision that, w that we have here all takes money. And I know many people give in their lives through serving, and you, you serve and you help, and maybe you're on teams here, or you serve in other avenues, you, you do other things out in the city, and all of that is awesome. But those things don't actually, don't actually contribute to funding the vision. Um, and so if you are somebody that serves with your time, man, that is awesome. And we, we need you to be a part of that. That's a part of how you use your life to live, to give. But it takes time and it takes money. It takes all of those things together. We can't just be faithful in one area. All of our life belongs to God, not just our wallet and not, and, and not just our time. Some people maybe say, hey, I'm just going to write checks, but I don't want to be a part of anything. And that's not really faithful. But it's also not faithful to say, hey, I'm going to give my time, but that's how I give. I, I don't want to give my money because it takes all of those things to really make a church happen and to make the vision that God wants to do here in and through us happen. Okay? So all of that is, uh, is preface as we focus on what it means to live to give, but we are in a sermon series talking about how God gives to us and how that affects and contributes to and moves our hearts to give then as people in this, in this world to what he uh, has called us to. So I'm going to pray as we jump into our sermon together today. Father, I thank you that you have given everything to us, and I thank you that we can uh, focus on this in the month of December as we think about Advent, your arrival, your coming, as we think about Christmas, how you came to this earth and gave us your son. I pray even now as we uh, talk about these things that you would shape our hearts and our minds and speak to us through your word. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
So if you had $2 million, how would you spend that? If, if you were given $2 million, how would you spend that? And there's probably a lot of different things that you could think of. Maybe you think about that often. Uh, but if you had $2 million, what would be the things that you would want to spend that on? Now, here's the reality. The average person in their life, and I know you're not average, you're special for those of you that are millennials, but um, <laughs> you are a unicorn and a snowflake combined somehow. Genetic, you know, mutation. Um, it doesn't sound as appealing. You are a genetic mutation, um, but you are uh, very special. But the average person, the average person makes $2 million in the course of their life and then thus spends $2 million in their life. But we don't think about it that way. You think about if I say, hey, if, if someone gave you $2 million, how would you spend that? But it's the, same, it's the same amount of money. It just trickles slowly over the course of your life or is spent all in one time. But thinking about you have $2 million probably. Some of you more than that. Some of you maybe less than that. But on average, you will have about $2 million. How should that money be spent? It might be easier to think about it if someone wrote you a $2 million check and you were to sit down and go, how should I spend this? What's the best use of this? You probably wouldn't go out and just buy a bunch of dozens of uh, donuts or, or just buy, hey, I think I'm going to spend uh, $500,000 on Starbucks. I'm gonna, you probably wouldn't do that, right? But as it trickles through our lives, often we don't think as intentionally about how we spend our money. But it's an important question, right? How should we spend our money. Very important. And most of us want to be conscious about that. I think especially for those of you that are, I think this is true for everyone, but kind of stats and stuff show that millennials really want to be a generation that is conscious in their decision buying. And there's certain things you don't buy because of what the companies do or what they stand for. Or kind of the millennial generation is the one that invented Tom's shoes where you buy one pair of shoes and, and the other pair of shoes goes uh, back to, to support somebody that doesn't have shoes and those kinds of things. We, we want to be conscious about our spending. We want to make a difference with our spending. I think that's true for a lot of people. So how should we spend it? How should we spend the money so that it does make a difference so that we are being conscious of those things? And in order to do that, there has to be some sort of guide with how we spend our money. If you have $2 million, that you've got to have some sort of guide on how you're going to spend that money. And we all have a guide on how we spend our money, even if we don't think about it concretely. Your guide might be the way that you were raised, right? So even without thinking about this, the way that your parents spent money might naturally be the flow of how you spend your money. Or the way that they saved money might be the way that you begin to save money money. Or sometimes it's in reaction to that. Your parents didn't spend money on certain things, and you said, I vow when I'm older, I will spend money on these things. I will always let my kids have whatever they want, or, or whatever it might be. You know, you, you start to think about things from your parents, or maybe it's just certain authors or blogs that you have read, or things that have influenced you, where you say, really, this is, you know, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad a long time ago, or Dave Ramsey, or something, and you say, hey man, this is my, this is my guide of how money should be spent. Or, or maybe it's you actually meet with a professional. You talk with a financial advisor and you ask them, hey, I've got this money. How should this be spent? Or for many people, it, it isn't any of that. It's just kind of with whatever you want. It's just kind of your desires. The guide is just kind of your gut, right? The guide is just, man, what do I feel like? That's, that's how I can be most kind of authentic or most true is just go with, go with my gut. That's what I want to spend my money on. But if we want to think most wisely of how we should spend our money, we should consider what God says. We should consider what he says the best use of money 
is. So we're going to look at the passage that we've been looking at, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. We've been exploring the last uh, few weeks, and we're going to look at the last part of chapter 9 here together on as Paul is talking to this church. And and the situation here that we've been looking at is that there was a, a church in Jerusalem that was in need. It was a church in Jerusalem that suffered famine and they were in need. And Paul was working with another church, talking to them and trying to motivate them towards what it looks like to give. And so we'll pick up this last part of chapter 9, which can give us some insight into how we should spend our money. So here's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15. Now the one who provides seed for the sower... And bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, if we want to understand how should we spend our money, there's some things that we need to look at. And the first foundational thing that he covers here is where does our money come from? We've all got money. Where does it come from? Where, where did we get it in the first place? And, and we can look at our lives and think about kind of the actual aspects and go, well, it came from my job, right? That's kind of the starting point usually is I, my employer wrote me a paycheck. Or if you work for yourself, you wrote yourself a check. And you say, my money comes from my job or it comes from my abilities. It comes from, man, I, I, I have worked hard at certain things and I've got an intellect around certain things and, and I'm a hard worker or I've, you know, I'm, I'm whatever it is, you might go, okay, came, came from my job or it comes from the abilities I have or the schooling that you have. You say, man, the reason that I've got this money, where it came from is I, I put time in at school. I put, I put a lot of loans in at school. I put a lot of loans in at school and then I've, I've been able to get to this place where now I've got money. It came from my work. It came from my abilities. It came from my street smarts or, or my investing or my savvy or whatever it is. We often look at those things. But what Paul says is foundational to start with. What he says is very important to begin with of where our money comes from. He talks about God as the provider. He says the one who provides seed and for the sower and bread, and he's using this kind of farming analogy. But he says God is the one that provided you with everything that you have. God is the one that provided you with your money. The Bible talks about this all over the place, uh, how God is the one that owns all things and has given us. And sometimes we go, well, how, how is that true? How did God give me the money I have? You know, whatever you've got in your bank account, whatever you've got in your wallet, how did God give that to you? It's really easy to think about your employer giving that to you or even yourself giving that to you through your hard work and your efforts. But how did God give that money to you? How can we say that it came from him? Well, first, because God is the one that gave you life. You wouldn't even exist if God hadn't brought you into this world. And the abilities that you have and the talents that you have and the place that you live and the opportunities that you have, all of those providentially designed and given to you by God. And if you're a Christian, for those of you that are Christians, we confess, right? We say, God, my life belongs to you. We say part of what it means to be a Christian is I have given my life to Jesus. 
And so everything that we have not only belongs to him, but is from him in the first place. Now, this is important to understand where our money comes from. Because it's, if it's just from us, if it's just from us, your abilities, your smarts, your education, your employer, if it's just from us, then it's up to us. Right? If it, if it just is from you and that's where it's from, then it's up to you whatever you want to do with it. And so you might start with your goals and say, what are my financial goals? It's, if it's from me, it's up to me. What are my financial goals? And that's how you begin to decide how to spend your money. Or you might start with security first and say, I really need to make sure that I'm investing for my retirement and that I'm kind of set up and that the college funds are set up and that kind of my world is constructed safely. And you might start there. Or if it's from you and up to you, you might start, as we kind of said, just with your desires. Just what, what is it that I want? And a lot of times if you're kind of in this place, you might not budget at all, right? You, you don't even think about it. You think, man, I don't even, I don't think about where it comes from. I just spend it. You know, it's just great. I don't ever have to think about money. And a lot of us, whether we consciously think about it or not, live in that way. We spend money just on what we want to spend money on. And if it's from us, it's up to us. But if it's from God, if it's from him, then here's what it means. It doesn't actually belong to us, but we are just stewards. If it is from God, then it means it's not actually ours that we own, but it's something that's been given to us to use and to take care of in the way he wants it to be used and taken care of. Think about it this way. For those of you that have kids, you have a child. It's yours. It belongs to you. It's from you. And you give it to someone, a babysitter, on Friday night. And if they all of a sudden said, thanks, I think I'll take this and use it as my own, you would say, okay, do that for a week and then come back to me and, I, and drop it off. No, you would say, please, that's not, it's not yours. I'm giving it to you, but I'm giving it to you to take care of. I'm giving this little girl, I'm giving this little boy to you to take care of, not just so that you own them and they're yours now. Or if you have letters, right, that you're going to mail, maybe you're sending out Christmas cards for the holidays and maybe some of you are still behind and you're planning, they're sitting there, they're waiting to go out. You're going to send out Christmas cards, right? And the mailman comes and you hand them to the mailman or mailwoman and you say, hey, would you, would you deliver these? And you give them to them. But if the mailman just starts opening them and going, oh, this is really nice, you know, thank you. Well, that's not, I gave those to you. But I gave those to you not just for you to have, but for you to use for what I want it to be used for. I gave you my kid. I gave you my letters, not for you to use how you want, but to be stewarded, to be used with my purpose, with my intention. This is what the Bible teaches all over the place. And what Paul teaches here is that God is the one that has provided you with everything you have. God has provided you with life, breath, and money. He's given it to you. It's from you, which means if it's from him, it's up to him on how it should be used. Now, here's the question then. Why does he give it to us? If it's from him, it's up to him. So we should go, well, so what does he want from it? Why does he give it to us? Why does God actually give us the money that you have? Why did God give you the abilities you have and the education you have and the opportunities that you have? Why did God give you the financial resources that you have? Why did he do it? It's an important question to look at. Now, here, now here's the truth. Most of us, and I, look, I know this isn't true for everybody. People can go through financial hard times and things can change and, and things can sway, but most of us have more money now than we did before, whatever before is for you. 
Okay, most of us have more today than we had a few years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. God has continued to give you more money. Why? Why has God continued to give us more money? When, when I was a little kid and I you know, did, did my chores for my allowance, I got 25 cents a week. Okay, this is a long time. Inflation, I don't know. Maybe it's a dollar now. But I, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe my parents just didn't have very much money. But I got a quarter a week. That was my allowance. Okay, and, 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 and that's what I made back then. Now, I have more money than that today. And most of us have made more money over the course of our life. And maybe you even prayed. Right? Maybe you even prayed. God, would you give me that job? God, would you help me get into that school? God, would you help me to get into that program? God, would you help that interview to go well? Maybe you even prayed. Maybe stuff was even rough in your life. Maybe you weren't even sure financially how things were going to go. And you prayed, God, would you give me an opportunity? God, would you help me financially? And many times God answered those prayers. God gave us more money. Oftentimes, look, I know, again, this isn't true for, maybe, maybe you just lost your job yesterday. I don't know. So maybe this isn't true for everybody, but for most people, most of us make more today or have more resources today than we had five, ten years ago. And a lot of times, we even directly petitioned God, asked God, and here's what happens. Oftentimes, our life then just fills up into that standard of living. We, I was making a quarter at one point, and my life matched making a quarter. And a lot of times, our life, we ask God, God gives us more money, and our life fills into that. So it's a little bit more comfortable. We can buy a little bit more nice of things. We're a little safer. We're a little secure. We can save a little more. We can invest a little more. We can spend a little more. It's kind of the, uh, my, my wife was telling me this a few, a few days ago, but it's kind of like the, the, the you know, sorry if this is... Uh, offensive, but it's kind of like the purse principle, where if you have a, if you got a small purse, that fills up, right? You get a little bit of a bigger purse, that fills up. You get a bigger purse, you're like, how do I have all, a TV in here? Where did this come from? Like, I've got a pair of shoes, I've got a human being, where did this come from? An, an alive human being, not a dead human being, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what you have in there. <clears throat> but it fills up. Oftentimes, our lifestyle just fills up to match our income level, right? That is what happens so many times. And yet, why is it that God gives us the money that he's given us? Why does he do it? Here's what Paul says. You will be enriched. That means God will make you rich, and which doesn't just mean you're, you know, throwing hundreds around, but it means that God enriches you. He gives you money. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity. God gives you more and more money. God increases your wealth. God increases your wealth so that you will be more and more generous. Or here's how he said it earlier. We looked at this verse last week. It says, God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work saying that God continues to bless you, continues to give to you, to enrich you, so that you will continue to be more and more generous. There's an author named Randy Alcorn. I love the way that he says this, and he says that God prospers you not to raise your standard of living, 
which is what we so often do as our income grows. God prospers you not to raise your standard of living, but to raise your standard of giving. He says when God gives you financially that it's not just a blessing. It is a blessing. And we go, God, I prayed for that. You provided for that. I asked you for that. You gave me that. I make more today than I used to make. God, you've loved me. You've blessed me. And he says it's not just a blessing. It's also a test. And it is. You see, all money is from God. If it's from us, it's up to us. If it's from God, it's up to God. Why does God give it to us? Paul says, and the Bible says this all over the place, and Jesus says it with his own words, that God has enriched you in every way so that you will be generous in every way. Now, here's what this means. We just have to ask ourselves, look, and I, you, you got to ask yourself this. No one's checking. No one's asking. You don't have to fill out some sort of paperwork and, and say, but, but you got to ask yourself this. As your, as your income has increased, has your giving increased? As God's prospering of you has increased, has your generosity increased? Is that the flow of your life? Paul says that is the reason that God gives you money. He says that's why the reason that you, the reason that you have prospered in your life is because God wants to make you more and more generous. My kids right now, I'm, you know, I'm, they get quadruple what I got as a, as a kid. So I, they get a dollar, right? And they actually get $10 a month. Okay, so my kids get $10 a month for their allowance, which means every, every month, they just did it today, they, they give a dollar. They give 10% of their money to Jesus. Now, if God continues to bless them and prosper them, if God continues to enrich them, they get a job, they, they, I mean, and they're still just like, yep, giving a dollar, then something's wrong with that. When I was in college and I was only making 20 grand or whatever, I mean, I was giving a couple hundred bucks a month, right? Making, making hard, I'm not making much money and I'm not giving all that much money. But God has prospered me. And I'm not trying to say, hey, I'm wealthy, look, I got all. I'm just saying, as God has, has, has continued to prosper you, you have to ask yourself, do I live by that principle that Paul said? Am I enriched? So I give. God has prospered you not to just raise your standard of living and to keep filling into whatever your income is, but to raise your standard of giving, to increase your generosity. Because God wants you to give to what he cares about. That's, look, that we are all conduits of God's grace. That's how, this, that's how it works. You're a conduit of God's grace if you're a Christian. God has loved you, blessed you, served you, enriched you. And you know what he wants you to do? Be a funnel of that to other people. Because God loves people. God cares about people. And usually, you don't just go to your mailbox and there's a check that says, from God. Right? God uses us. We're his conduits of his grace and his generosity to people. So God blesses you and enriches you so that you're able to be a conduit of his love and care and generosity for people. Why does God keep giving us money? Why does he keep loving us and blessing us and enriching us? It's because he wants to care for his family, his church. And so he is generous to us so that we may be faithful in all generosity. Now, here's, here's just what it means. It means you have to ask, do I raise my generosity? Do I raise my giving in, with commensurate with when God raises, raises his enriching of my life. If not, 
we should probably tell God that we don't want anymore. Instead of praying that God gives you a raise or praying God gives you a new opportunity, we should probably say, God, please don't give me any more because I'm not actually going to use it for what you've given it to me for. I doubt anyone's ever prayed that. But maybe we should if we don't actually want to use it for what God designs it to be used for. Here's another thing this means. This is so important. If you can't afford to give, if you look at your life and say, I don't think I can afford to give, what does that mean? Different people might have different answers of what that means, but you know what it often means? It means I can't afford to give because as I've increased in wealth, I've filled into my life. And so then, of course, I can't afford to give. And you might think I'll be able to afford to give here when I increase more. But you won't because you will fill into that life. And then you think, well, five years from now, ten years from now, once I have a house, once I've got this paid for, once I've got, then I'll fill in. But you won't. I mean, statistics actually show that the wealthiest give the least percentage of their income. So if you think, man, as soon as I get here, I will just continue, you won't. You won't. If we can't afford it, it usually means it's because we have filled our life, which is why the Bible has a really important principle for giving. It's that we give our first fruits. And first fruits is another agriculture uh, metaphor saying that when you, when you planted, you would have your crops and you would give your first of the fruits, the best, the first that were collected were given to God. And the same is true financially. It's a principle that says, before you fill up your life, give to God the first, the best fruits. If you always wait till what's left over, there's not anything left over. Look, this is, this is a true principle in everything in life. If you say, man, I'm going to fill up my schedule with all the things I want to do, and then I'll spend some time with my kids. There's not going to be any time. I'm going to fill up my schedule with all the things I want to do, and then I'll see where I can make room for my friends. You're not going to, you're not going to have any time. This is a very, if you always have to take the first fruits of things and give those, otherwise your life fills up. This is true financially in other ways. Look, you know if you're trying to save for a house or something like that, or you're trying to save for retirement, often that is, that is counseled and incentivized. Hey, before anything, make sure out of your paycheck, before it even goes to you, make sure you contribute something to your retirement. Why? Because there's a principle that you know already with other things. I've got to give this first. Otherwise, I'll fill up my life and I won't have anything left. This is why the Bible says it's great wisdom to look at our wealth that God gives to us and say, first I give to God. Then I build my life around that. Look, I, I just want you to think, that, that is something that is a biblical teaching foundational to our generosity. God gives to us so that we would give. We are to give the first fruits of what we have to God. Now look, just, I just want you to think about it. I'm not, you, you don't have to raise your hand. Is that how you live? Maybe it is, and praise God. But so often, I mean, just statistically in America and the different things we looked at the last couple weeks, that's not the case. We build our life and then say, what's left? Can I afford anything left for God or for charitable causes or whatever it might be? So why does God give us money? God gives us money so that we would be able to be generous, Paul says that we would use it for what he wants it to be used for, for his purposes, for his family, so that we would be a conduit of his generosity. Next is this. What happens when we give like this? 
If we give like this, like Paul teaches, like the Bible teaches, like God recommends and, and teaches for our life or commands for our life, rather, what happens when we give like this? And here, here's what Paul says. He continues with his agricultural metaphor. He says that when you give, God provides for you. He multiplies your seed and increases the harvest of your righteousness, the harvest of your righteousness. When you give, when God gives to you, when he multiplies your seed, your money, when he multiplies your seed, he does that, enriches you so that you would be generous. And when that happens, it increases the harvest. And not just increases the harvest of your wealth. That's not what it says. There's false teaching out there that says, if you give, God gives back to you more money. You give $10, God gives you $100. You give $100, God will give you $1,000. That is not true. But what Paul does say is God will increase your generosity so that you can be generous. And what will happen is what will increase is not just your bank account, but the harvest of your righteousness, which means that you get to be a part of God's work in the world. When you, you look, Paul says this, money is like a seed. Money is like a seed, he says. It's a seed that is getting planted. And here's the question. What life are you growing Money is a seed that gets planted. What life are you growing? When you plant your money, when you plant your money into your life of comfort or the American dream or financial security or the pleasures of this world, that's the life that grows for you. Paul says when you plant your seed, when you plant your money in a generous way where God wants it, what you get is a harvest of righteousness. A harvest, a, a, like you look out at the field and there's all of this righteousness. And what is that saying? Righteousness in, in the biblical connotation here that he's talking about is God's justice in the world. It's, it, just take the word righteousness. It's God setting things right. It's God making all things that have been broken restored. He says, when you give money here, you're planting a life that grows, a life of, that you're able to look out and say, I planted my money, my seed, and what I get to see is an abundance of God setting things right. I get to see marriages healed. I get to see people with addictions cared for and recover. I get to see people that were lonely and didn't have friendships experience community. I get to experience people that are suffering experience deep comfort. I get to experience people that had no hope in their life anymore and now have hope. I get to experience people that, that knew God and believed in God but would say God wasn't really an important part of my life. I didn't really count on him. And I get to see people now experiencing a deeper joy in Jesus. So he says that's everything being set right that was broken. He says when you give here, all things that are broken begin to be set right that you plant your money seed in the ground of God's soil and righteousness grows, he says. Everything is put right. This is, this is look, if, if, you, if you're somebody that is just kind of checking out church, I know that you're like, I knew it, it's all about money. and Well, it kind of is a little bit today, yeah. Because the Bible talks a lot about it. Because God cared, look, because God, not because God wants to take your money, it's because God wants a harvest of righteousness. From, this is what's so amazing about this. It's not even just saying God wants your money. It's saying God wants a harvest of righteousness for you. 
It's saying God wants you to be able to look at your life and go, look what I was able to be a part of planting. I was able to plant seed here that led to the world being set right again. All the things that God intends, forgiveness of sin and shame removed and community given, I was able to plant that. I was able to see that happen. This is what God desires for you to experience in his church. This is what we desire as a church to continue to create is a harvest of righteousness. Here's what this means. It's not just money. It's seed. It's not just money. It's seed. And what kind of life are you planting? What kind of life are you growing? That's the important question that we have to ask ourselves. Our money is always planting and growing something. And you know what happens when we, when we use it like this? It leads to a harvest of righteousness, which leads to, it leads to people thanking and glorifying God. To glorify God means to see him as the most important, the most weighty, the most central part of life. That's what Paul says happens. It leads to an overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry they're giving, they will glorify God. He says, here's what happens when you sow a harvest of righteousness. People begin to see God as the most important thing in life. Here's what happens when you begin to plant your seed in a way where God says he wants it planted. It, it leads to things being set right, which leads to people's hearts going, God's amazing. It leads to people's hearts going, thank you, God. Thank you that I got to have my life changed. Thank you that I got to experience this. Thank you for the community. God, thank you for what you've done. You must be most important. See, whatever you give your money to in life, people begin to see as really important. If you spend all your money on your record collection, I don't know why that's the example I came up with, okay? But if you spend all, maybe it's for someone here. You spend all your money on your record collection. People would go, clearly, records are really important to you. Maybe I should be interested in records. Maybe I'm missing out on something with Spotify. What is this? But you see, if you give your money to something that shows how amazing God is, people begin to say, wow. They begin to overflow in thanksgiving to God. They begin to glorify, which means see him as most important, most weighty. That's what begins to happen in our life when we give like this. God begins to be at the center of people's lives. They thank him. They acknowledge him. They see him. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what's best for people? And here's the last thing that Paul says of what happens when we give like this. I think this is just a, an interesting kind of I don't know if I want to say side point, but kind of a, he's definitely saying, look, here's what it does. It leads to this harvest of righteousness. It takes care of people's needs and it, it leads to people thanking God and it, it, uh, it leads to people knowing him. But he, but he also says this, which is, I think, really interesting. He says, and as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you. He says, because of your giving, because of your generosity, what it leads to is people having a deep affection for you. Now, here, here's the only way I could really think about this. I watched It's a Wonderful Life last night, which if you haven't watched, you need to go home, watch Lord of the Rings, and then when you're done with that, watch It's a Wonderful Life. Um, that's always the preferred order. Uh, but but here's, here's, <laughs> here, here's what happens. George Bailey, if you've never seen the movie, George, George Bailey is this person that's continually giving in his life. He's continually contributing 
he's continually blessing people with his life. And then he gets his uncle, stupid Uncle Billy, leaves them. Sorry, I'm giving spoiler alerts. You know, I know it's like 80 years old, but he gives, he, he loses the money. And so Jimmy Stewart or uh, George Bailey's in some financial trouble now. Okay, and he's in some financial trouble and, and he's, but what happens is all his friends come and they give money to him, more than $8,000, which is what he needed. And they give, they give this money to him. And why do they do that? Why did they do that? They do it because they have a deep affection for him because of the life that he has given to them, because of the serving that he is giving to them, because of the contribution that he has given to them. There's this one scene where he looks up, he's trying to make a, you know, many different times in his life, he's had to make these financial blessings towards people and sacrifices with things that he wanted to do. And he looks up at a sign and it says, the only thing you can take with you is what you give away. And that's so true and so important. And that's the life he lived, which then created exactly what Paul talks about. People had a deep affection for him. Now, look, well, how does that apply to us? Does that mean all your friends are going to give you $8,000? I don't think so. Maybe. But, but what it means is this. When you, I think what Paul is trying to get at is this. When you, when you give, when you give, here's what it does. It leads to a harvest of righteousness. You get to be a part of God setting things right. It also leads to people having God at the center of their life and overflowing in thanks to him and seeing who he is. And it leads to an affection that people have knowing you gave something. And because you gave, I got to experience this. Now, look, people might not always know this and walk up to you and say this. Some of you give and nobody knows that, right? So you might be giving thousands of dollars over the course of your life to God's family and nobody walks up to you and says, thank you for doing that. Okay, look, that, that can very well happen. But what happens is when you hear stories of people's lives changed and they say, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for what God has done here. You know that affection, part of that goes to me. That affection that they have, I get to share in that like George Bailey did. You know, and it's just one of the ways that Paul's trying to motivate people. It's one of the ways he's saying, look what you get to do. You get to be a part of this. You get to be a part. Look, have you, here, let me give you a negative example. Sorry, I'm just thinking of this. Have you ever told somebody, hey, I'm going to pray for you? I, maybe you have never done this, okay? I know you're better Christians than this. But you've told someone, I'm going to pray for you. They're struggling with something, and you forget to pray for them. You've not done this, right? But your friend has, okay? And, they, and, they, and, uh, and, and, and then they come to you, and they say, thank you so much. Like my, I felt your prayers this week and you're like, oh crap. But see the negative side of it is that affection that they have for you is actually misplaced. You weren't actually a part of it. What Paul is trying to say is on the positive side, you get to share, you get to be a part of the affection that people, the appreciation that people feel because you're a part of setting things right in their life and in the community that they join in. Here's what this means. What happens when we give like this? It means we can actually make a difference with our money. It's not just money. It's seeds planting a crop, a glorious crop of God's righteousness. You can be a part of the most significant thing in the universe. You can be a part of God setting this world right, of God creating a family. You can be a part of God building his household. You can be a part of the most significant thing that this world has to offer. We can have deep purpose. How should we spend our money? A lot of times we don't know. And a lot of times we want to make conscious decisions and efforts. And, and God says, Paul says here, you can be a part 
of setting the world right, of giving people what God desires for them to experience. This is why he's given you money in the first place. This is why he gives it to us. So here, here, here's what this practically means. Let me give you eight quick steps. Seriously, they'll go quick. Let me give you eight things. Just as you're thinking about last week and the week before and even this week, as you think about this, where, where just kind of where do you get started? If you say, okay, all right, I want to be a part of, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of God setting things right in the world. Here, here, let me give you eight quick things. And some of these apply to you and some of them maybe don't. But here, I was just thinking about, okay, if somebody just said, okay, I, I want to do this, where, where do you go? What do you do? Here's step one. You confess. You say to God, God, you've enriched me, but I've used it to just keep raising my standard of living instead of raising my standard of giving. That's what you start with. Any sort of life change should always begin with, I confess to God. Here's what I've done, God. Forgive me. And he does, gladly. Second thing you do is you submit to God which is just to come to God and say, God, I want that. I want my life. I submit to your word. I want to obey you. You have given to me. I want to be generous and be a conduit of your grace. You just pray that and submit to him in that way. Third is you share it with somebody else. Share it with someone in your community group. Share it with someone in your LTG because we need each other. I'm not saying you need to share with them your bank account or share with them your W-2. I'm not saying that. Just saying you share with them and say, look, this is something God's convicted me of. I want you to help me. Keep me accountable. This is, I want to grow in this. Can you pray for me in this, really? And then, you know, I'll have affection for you next week. I mean, you, you share it with somebody. Because we need other people in our life, and a lot of times things aren't real until we share them. You know this with all sorts of other areas in your life, right? And you discuss it, especially if you're married, discuss it with your spouse. So that you're on the same page. So it's not one person that's like, yeah, let's do this. And you're writing fat checks. And the other person's like, whoa, where'd our money go? You discuss, right? And come together and say, hey, let's, let's do this. Let's be a part of what God wants to do. Then you give your first fruits. You look at the money that God has given to you. And you say, let's build our budget from the ground up. Starting with generosity. Since that's why God has given it to us. Then you might need to do this. Simplify your life. Because if your life has continued to fill up to a certain standard of living based on your income, you might need to simplify your life. Then you might need to get help. You might need to ask for help, which we have people in the church that would love to help you. If you say, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to budget. I don't know what to do. Get help. We'll take care of you. And then make a budget for the rest of the money that you have. And stick to it. That's it. There's my financial advice. Here's what this means. God's inviting you. God's inviting you to be a part of a harvest of righteousness. He's inviting you, not somebody else, not, not the you five years from now. He's inviting you to be a part of this with him. Last thing is this. Where does this kind of giving come from? Where does a life that says God blesses me and I give, he's generous to me and I give, where can that come from? Because that's not our natural bent. Where does that come from? Here's what Paul says. He says it came from their obedient confession of the gospel of Christ. He says, this all flowed out of your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ. Now here's what this means. If, if you're a Christian, you confess, which means you say you believe. You confess the gospel. 
The gospel is the good news. The good news that God, this is what we celebrate with Christmas, that God came into this world. That Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, means in flesh, that God came into this world to forgive us of our sins, to give us his righteousness, to cleanse us from all evil, all shame, all guilt, and to make us his kids, to adopt us into his family, to give us life with him now and forever. That's the gospel. Not something that we earned, not something we deserved, but that Jesus said, I will give this to you. I will take away all your sin and die for it, and I will give you all my righteousness, all my goodness. You don't have to earn it. And you can be God's child. That's the gospel. That is the good news. And what Paul says is, where does this kind of giving come from? It comes from confessing. Yes, I believe that. Yes, I need that. See, if you're a Christian, you say this. You say, you confess, Paul says, you confess, I need forgiveness. I need salvation. You confess, my only hope in life and in death is Jesus. You confess, the most important thing on this earth is Jesus. You confess these things. You confess, ah, God, I want to be in your family. I want to be adopted. You confess all of this stuff. You say, this is what's most important to me. This is what I believe. Jesus as my Savior is what is foundational. We say that. And Paul says, you know where that kind of giving comes from? It comes from an obedient confession of the gospel. It means we don't just say those things. We don't just discuss those things. We don't just hear about those things from a pastor on Sunday. But we actually live our life in line with those things. Join God and his purposes, and his mission. If you're a Christian, confess the beautiful truths of the gospel and then live an obedient confession of those truths and see God work. See God create a harvest of righteousness through your life. When we take communion, what, what we come and what we remember is that confession. We confess, I need forgiveness. We confess, you are my only hope. We confess, thank you for the best gift of Christmas that you would give to me, your son. That is what we do when we come and take communion. We are confessing the truth of this gospel. Our hope, our joy in him, and our desire to be a part of seeing him create that in the lives of others. We pray with me as we take communion and sing songs, remembering, rejoicing in this good God that we have. Father, I thank you that you gave to us Jesus. I thank you that you called us into your family and you forgive us of our sin and you give us the greatest, most costly gift that there is. Jesus, you even refer to yourself as a seed. You are a seed that was thrown into this world that died and then bore much fruit that we get to enjoy, that we get to experience. And so I pray, help us, God, as a church to use the seed that you have given to us to plant a harvest of righteousness so that more and more people would know how good you are, would know your grace, would know your salvation. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.